All right, here's Giannis pooping one to Lopez, and that'll do it. The Bucks beat the Nets. Yes, it was a wild one for the ages, but the Bucks came away with the victory in Game 7 against the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference Semifinals on Saturday. The final score, 115-111. to 111. Giannis Adetokounmpo led the way for Milwaukee with 40 points on 15-24 of 24 shooting. After the ball game, he talked about what it meant to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. We've all worked extremely hard to be in this moment. You know, and I'm not talking about basketball, I'm talking about life. You know, and uh, just being able to be in a position on the road, game seven, like you, like you watch this growing up on TV and see like the all-time greats going head-to-head in game seven and, um, you know, getting big wins. So no matter what, you know, you lose the game. But at the end of the day, we worked extremely hard our whole life for this moment, right? So I wanted everybody to... to to live up this moment, to to feel this moment, to cherish this moment, you know, because we we are built for this. Job is not done. We gotta keep believing in ourselves. We gotta keep playing good basketball, uh, and uh, take it game by game. The job is not done. We 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 halfway halfway through. Taking a look inside the box score for the Bucks, we talked about Giannis and his 40 points on 15 of 24 shooting, two of six from beyond the arc. I like the fact that he only took six three-pointers and only missed four of them. I think that's going to be maybe a harbinger of success for him that he's not just chucking it up like he had been earlier in the series. Yeah, one of them was a bank shot, but hey, you know what? You, you take what you can get. Uh, also, 8 of 14 from the free throw line. There seemed to be a rhythm after he, I mean, granted there was an air ball afterwards, but when Nets fans were counting, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and then he'd shoot on 12, that kind of gave him a rhythm a little bit. And when they stopped doing that chant, he airballed a free throw, his second of the game. Giannis is a great talent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this is a guy who's going to win another MVP, if not more. This is someone who very well could win an NBA championship. Uh, coming up on Wednesday's show, we're going to talk with uh, author Mirren Fader, who's written a book about Giannis kind of deconstructing his whole life. And it's an incredible story. And I've got nothing but love and respect for Giannis Adetokounmpo. What I will say about his free throw game, though, is I've in practice, I have literally seen Giannis make thousands of free throws. He practices them all the time. He practices them before games. He practices them after games. He practices them before practice and after practice. He knows you don't have to tell him that that is maybe his biggest area of concern. In tight situations, you don't necessarily want number 34 at the line. But I've got the ability to hit a free throw. I would say most of you that are listening to this podcast probably have at least the physical ability to hit a free throw. For any NBA player, however, especially one that has made as many free throws in non-high leverage situations, if you will, obviously Giannis knows how to shoot a free throw, but when any NBA player airballs one, or two in the same game, and these were not the first two that Giannis has ever airballed, anytime you've got an NBA player that's doing that, it's between the ears. It's 100% between the ears. Giannis knows how to make a free throw. 
But when he pulls the string, that's because he's getting it you know, within his head. He just has to somehow relax, find that place where he's going to be able to succeed. Because when he's not, I wouldn't say thinking, because I think that he does think when he's on the court, but you know, his reactions that have been honed with hard work and hours and hours and hours on the practice court, when he gets the ball and reacts with his instincts, again, that have been honed, that he has carefully cultivated over the years, nobody can stop him. Nobody can guard him. And that's what has made him a two-time NBA MVP. But as we get deeper into the playoffs, as we get into the Eastern Conference Finals, and potentially, hopefully for Bucks fans, the NBA Finals against first the Hawks and then either the Clippers or the Suns, he's going to have to be able to withstand those fans that are jeering him at the line one way or the other, whether it's... You know, the, the counting, which I think was maybe gave him that rhythm that he needed. So he's going to have to talk to maybe a sports psychologist in the offseason. I don't think there's any two ways about that, just to get his head right. But the other thing that I loved seeing from Giannis, and yeah, he was gassed on Saturday night in Game 7. These two teams had gone at it for two weeks. Giannis was exhausted, but he also played 50 minutes in that game that went into overtime. The Bucks coming away with a 115-111 victory. Scored the 40 points. Pulled down 13 rebounds. Dished out five assists. Stayed out of foul trouble. And that's what the Bucks are going to need against the Atlanta Hawks. And we'll talk about the Atlanta Hawks coming up in a few minutes here uh, on the podcast. But I do want to give a tip of the cap, though, to Kevin Durant. And the rest of the Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Durant was spectacular. Kevin Durant was everything that you want a superstar to be. Uh, In Game 7, played 53 minutes. So, all 53 minutes. Scored 48 points. 17 of 36 shooting. He struggled a little bit from beyond the arc. Just 4 of 11 from beyond the arc. But made 10 of his 11 free throws. Pulled down nine rebounds, dished out six assists. He was a superstar. He was playing like a champion in every way, shape, and form. And you can talk about, you know, wearing you know wearing a size eighteen shoe as opposed to a size seventeen shoe. Hey, you know what? Kevin Durant has been playing basketball for long enough to know his equipment and where he was on the court. So, were the Bucks aided by that? Sure, but they were probably. Uh, you know, unaided by a few other things that happened during the game as well. I thought the officiating, especially in the early going, was atrocious in this ball game. I thought it was terrible. Uh, so I'm not overly concerned with the fact that, you know, the Bucks only got into the Eastern Conference Finals because Kevin Durant's shoes were an inch too big. Forget that. What? Whatever. The Bucks got in. They finally won a Game 7 on the road. But Kevin Durant after the game, this is the other thing that I like to see from superstars. If you're a superstar on the court, be a superstar off the court. And I thought Kevin Durant was really, really classy uh, in defeat in Game 7. You know, we we got good looks there over time. We just didn't knock them down. But respect to the Milwaukee Bucks and how they prepare, how they 
challenged us all series and made adjustments all series. Um, we got nothing but respect for this ball club. Net superstar Kevin Durant scoring 48 points in 53 minutes in Game 7. Um, going back to the Bucks box score, they only went eight deep. And when I say eight deep, really it was only seven deep. Because Thanasis, with his 51 seconds on the court, eh, you know, do you really count that? I, I suppose you can, but, you know, you look at all the DNPCDs that did not play coaches' decisions. Uh, you know, Bobby Portis, we're still trying to figure out exactly why he hasn't been able to play. Jeff Teague didn't get into the game as, uh, at all. Bryn Forbes only played five and a half minutes in the game, and Pat Connaughton was by far the biggest contributor off the bench for Milwaukee in Game 7. But Drew Holiday played 48 minutes. Chris Middleton played all but what I think, 41 seconds in the game. He played 52 minutes uh, in this game. 52 minutes and some change. Brooke Lopez played 46 minutes in this game. P.J. Tucker, well, he fouled out and was in foul trouble. Uh, You know, he was the one that got pulled most for Pat Connaughton. P.J. Tucker playing 38 minutes. So your starters are getting you deep into these games for the Bucs. And now they had a couple of days to rest uh, to watch Game 7 in the other Eastern Conference semifinal between Philadelphia and Atlanta. Of course, as you know by now, Atlanta won because Philadelphia is just an absolute mess right now. Ben Simmons, we can do a whole other podcast, as I'm sure they're doing in Philadelphia right now, about Pe- uh, Ben Simmons and his failures in the playoffs this year. But that's what, the one thing that we asked of the Bucks starters at the beginning of the series. Look, this is the time that you're going to have to play deep. You're going to have to play whatever minutes they were load managing during the offseason. It's going to come to the payback is now. And that's what we saw, certainly, in Game 7. And this wasn't a perfectly played series on the Bucks' part by a long shot. Uh, remember after the first two games, I mean, in Game 2, at one point they were down by 49 points. We were talking about what the hell is wrong with this team. I think that was the, the title of the last podcast, uh, is what the hell is wrong with the Milwaukee Bucks because they weren't playing their own game. They weren't taking advantage of Brooke Lopez's size advantage underneath. Giannis was just chucking it from the cheap seats. Chris Middleton couldn't make a shot to save his life. Well, in Game 7, Chris Middleton could. Chris Middleton was 9 of 26, did struggle a little bit, certainly struggled from the field, but also came up with the big shot. At the end, Brooke Lopez with the boneheaded play at the end of regulation. He gets the ball. It's an inbounds play. 2.1 seconds left. He gets it in the corner. I know he was guarded, but you still have to chuck the ball toward the hoop, towards the hoop just to try to at least give yourself a chance for it to hit the rim. If it hits the rim, the game is over, and you don't have to go to overtime. Instead, he gets called for the worst possible thing that you can get called for, and that was a shot clock violation. So that happened. But also, you want to talk about redemption. Brooke Lopez then came up with a huge block in overtime. But that's what this team has done. They have made some mistakes. They haven't played perfect basketball. They certainly didn't play any perfect games in their series against the Nets. And yet here they are advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals against a team that they should be able to beat. Let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks for a minute. The one guy that you've got to focus up on is Trey Young. Trey Young averaging over 25 points per game, averaging almost 10 assists per game. He's their superstar, but they've got other players as well. Bogdan Bogdanovich was the guy that the Bucks thought they had at one point during last offseason, and it didn't work out. 
and he winds up in Atlanta, I don't think there were many Bucks fans who thought that, well, we'll be seeing Bogdanovich in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I don't think anybody thought that. But John Collins is a good ball player. Clint Capella is a good ball player. They've got good ball players coming up off the bench as well. Gallinari is a good player coming off the bench. Lou Williams is a good player coming off the bench. There are a lot of, I think, intriguing storylines between the Bucks and the Hawks. But these are two teams that at the beginning of the season, they had wildly different expectations. The expectation of the Bucks is to prove that last year in the playoffs against Miami was a fluke. So far, they've been able to do that. They're back in the Eastern Conference Finals. They've made another step forward. They haven't won anything yet, but they're closer. Listen, they're one of the final four teams in the NBA right now. So one of four teams, you know, you've got the Bucks, the Clippers, the Suns, and the Hawks. One of those four teams, they're going to wind up with the Larry O'Brien Trophy. But when the Hawks started the season, you thought that they were maybe a better team, especially, you know, with the addition of Bogdanovich. You knew that Trey Young was a good ball player. And they got off to a tough start to the season. Lloyd Pierce was their coach at the beginning of the season, and they struggled. They struggled to a 14 and 20 record when Pierce got whacked and Nate McMillan was brought in. Nate McMillan, who's been a very good NBA head coach for a very long time, was he just going to be someone to try to right the ship a little bit? Was he going to be somebody who's going to make Atlanta his permanent home? Was he nothing more than a caretaker? Well, he's shown that he is nothing, I mean, or that he's much more than just being a caretaker. Nate McMillan's a good coach. He's always been a good coach. He's coached for a long time, and guys play hard for him. The Pacers made four straight postseasons with Nate McMillan as their head coach. But it sounds like, you know, the Bucks of, you know, the 2000s right up until, you know, two seasons ago when the Bucks lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Raptors, you know, they kept making it to the postseason, the Pacers did with Nate McMillan, but they never got past the first round. So the Pacers fired Nate McMillan last year. I wonder if the Pacers think that they made a mistake, perhaps, with Nate McMillan. Maybe they just felt like they had gotten stale. But then again, I mean, Larry Bird, former Pacers coach, former Pacers executive, and Mr. All-World Basketball when he was with the Boston Celtics, when he took the job as the Pacers head coach, he said, I'm not going to coach for more than three years because the message gets stale after three years in the NBA, and he should know. He won an NBA Coach of the Year award. He's the only guy to win Rookie of the Year MVP, NBA Finals MVP, All-Star Game MVP, Coach of the Year, and Executive of the Year. He's the only one. And he wins Coach of the Year, and then after his three years on the bench for the Pacers, he said, I told you, when I took this job, I told you I was going to be done after three years. And he was, and he's never returned to coaching. Because I think there's something to that. There's coach fatigue. And the big question mark here in Milwaukee was whether or not that fatigue had infiltrated the Bucks. There's a growing and has been and had been a growing sentiment that if the Bucks lost to the Nets, Mike Budenholzer would not be the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks as I sit here recording this podcast. And that's probably true. You can't put all of the resources that Bucks ownership has put into this team, whether it's the Supermax with Giannis, whether it is the price that they paid for Drew Holiday, 
whether it was the price that they were willing to pay for Bogdan Bogdanovich, whether it was building a new arena, building a new practice facility, all the things that had attracted Wes Edens and Mark Lazary to Milwaukee in the first place, you need to make that next incremental step. Because they understood that there was a fan base that was here in Milwaukee that was thirsty for a winner. And look at the, if you haven't been down to the Deer District for any of these games, just look at the pictures of the Deer District. This was urban blight five and a half years ago. This was the last place anybody wanted to be on a summer night in the city of Milwaukee. I mean, the last place because there was nothing going on. It was just tumbleweeds rolling through the Park East Freeway Corridor. And now it's the hottest place in town to be. It's where everybody wants to and must be for Bucks games. Uh, earlier on Monday, on the crossover on 97.3, the game in Milwaukee and uh, world, or and statewide, well, worldwide on the iHeartRadio app, uh, statewide on great stations like WNFL Radio in Green Bay, also on the game in Wausau and in Rhinelander, Fox Sports 1070, the game, uh, in Madison as well, and some other stations around the state of Wisconsin. Uh, we're on in Eau Claire, uh, Twin Ports, Duluth Superior. Uh, had a chance, Bob Raynard and I did, on the crossover to get the thoughts of NBA Radio's Brian Geltzeiler, someone who I've talked to for a long time about NBA basketball. He knows his stuff better than just about anyone, and we asked him what his thoughts were on this Bucks hawks series, which starts on Wednesday night at Fiserv Forum. Well, listen, I, I think we have star players on each side, which makes it very interesting. Obviously, Giannis is a two-time MVP, and, and this is his uh, second appearance in the last three years in the conference final, and probably his best chance to break through, and, and probably his best supporting cast in terms of having the chance to break through. And then there's this young Atlanta Hawk team that, you know, is they play played above their heads. They have really pulled it together nicely. You have to give their GM, Travis Schlenk, a ton of credit. He kind of made a decision this offseason that it, they were ready to graduate to the next step, and he made some some significant financial moves in terms of bringing in uh, uh, Gallinari and bringing in uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and these guys, especially Gallinari lately, have been really good for them, and and this is the, the Hawks are a tough team. The Capella trade last year with Houston is one of those trades that people don't talk about much. It was a heist for Atlanta. Atlanta got involved in a four-way deal, and they ended up getting Clint Capella really pretty much just because they were willing to pay him. And he's been absolutely terrific for them. And, and Atlanta, you know, listen, I think they have a little bit of a difficult time because Milwaukee's definitely, to me, the more talented team. But you know what? Philadelphia was also the more talented team. And Atlanta played much better than they did, much smarter, much more fundamental basketball, hung in, got a good start to the series, hung in when things got tight and finished strong last night. It's not going to be easy for the Bucks, but certainly the Bucks have the talent advantage here, and they didn't necessarily start the Brooklyn series that way. So it's going to be a little bit of a different spot for them as well. I certainly definitely want to focus on the Atlanta-Milwaukee series, but I do want to rewind just a little bit to the other Eastern Conference semifinal between Atlanta and Philadelphia, Brian. In your opinion, did Atlanta win this series more, or did Philadelphia lose this series more? Uh, you know, it's a great question. I think we're doing Atlanta a disservice saying Philly handed it to them because Atlanta took it on a night last night where Trey Young couldn't throw it in the ocean was five of 23. They got 27 points out of Kevin Herter. And, and that was Atlanta never stopped being aggressive. 
There was no moment that was too big for them. And they came back in game four and game five from an 18-point deficit and a 26-point deficit. You have to be that, – that, to me, favors the team that did it more than saying that the Sixers handed it to them. Now, listen, the Sixers were flawed. The Sixers also – you know, had guys they counted on in certain roles that didn't come through in those roles at all. I don't know that they were coached all that well. Joel Embiid was banged up, and he was, let's face it, he wasn't great in the series. And again, we, we don't want to use the that as an excuse, the fact that he had a torn meniscus in his knee, but that situation definitely did exist. Atlanta had an opportunity with Philly playing far from their best basketball, and they went ahead and they grabbed it. So I'm going to say Atlanta took it. Uh, Brian, when when you saw the Bucks and and they survived just the, this this grinder, this war, this battle here in Game Seven the other night, but the series as a whole, what impressed you about the Bucks? And other side of the coin, what concerns you about the Bucks? Because as you said, Atlanta's not going to be a pushover. So what about the Bucks is concerning going into this matchup? Uh, let's start with what impressed me, Chris Middleton's ability to make big shots at big times, regardless of what's happened earlier in the game. Middleton has grown. That, to me, I know Holiday's an important player. Holiday didn't have a wonderful series against Brooklyn, but Holiday's an important player, and that addition certainly means a lot. But Middleton's ascension into a legit game closer has been the most important factor because that's not going to be Giannis. It will never be Giannis. And frankly, with the way Giannis shoots free throws, I will. T- I don't think the Bucks want it to be Giannis. It's got to be Chris Middleton. And when he listen, he hit the game-winning shot with, with 40 seconds left against Brooklyn. We remember that game one against Miami where the ball was put in his hands, no timeout by Budenholzer, and he was able to close there. He had 38 in game six to keep Milwaukee alive. Middleton's become a big-time closer, and that's the best thing they have going for them. Listen, I worry a lot about their depth. And ultimately, Budenholzer's lack of confidence in Bryn Forbes is tough. He plays Connaughton more than Brim Forbes because Connaughton's a little bit better defensively. But he's not confident in hiding Forbes. And just depth-wise, they have issues. Listen, this would be, you know, everybody's injured this time of year. No team that's, that is healthy at this point. The DiVincenzo injury hurts them because the DiVincenzo injury makes Budenholzer very hesitant to play those Giannis at five lineups that they're going to need to do sometimes. Now, they were able to beat Brooklyn without that. Brooke Lopez played big minutes. And, to, and I'm going to credit Mike Budenholzer because Lopez probably had the biggest defensive play of Game 7 with that block on Durant late in the game. Also, if Kevin Durant's shoe size is 17 instead of 18, <laughs> we're, all talk- we're all talking about the bad play drawn up with seven seconds left where the ball ended up in whose hands? Brooke Lopez didn't do anything with it. So it's, you know, that's how the margins of error are sometimes. But I worry about depth and I worry about Coach Budenholzer, not necessarily from a stylistic standpoint, because we've seen him change their defensive style a whole bunch, and, and even a little bit offensively to accommodate opponent rotation-wise, he's set in his ways, and that worries me a little bit with Atlanta, who, if Atlanta is healthy, and healthy right now, listen, they're, they're supposed to get Cam Reddish back. I don't know how much of a role he's going to play. They need Bogdanovich. If Bogdanovich is not healthy, that takes away a whole lot of their versatility. So that, if they are healthy, the versatility aspect is a worry for me with the Bucs. Brian Geltzheimer from NBA Radio joining us here on the crossover. Brian, I've talked to you for over a decade about basketball on networks, on national shows, up and down the dial in Milwaukee. So I've been talking to you since the Bucks before Giannis was drafted, when they were when they had a 15-win season. 
And now here they are, eight wins away from a potential NBA championship. We know about some of the moves that ownership made when Herb Cole sold the team to the Edens Lazary group, but was there an unheralded move over the course of the last decade or so that you can point to that to you was like, okay, this team is serious about being a true contender after 30 some odd years of complete irrelevance? You know, it's the one thing I will say here that probably was the most unheralded move of all. And I know it probably seems I'm going back to something I talked about already. But a lot of people were scratching their head when they decided to give Chris Middleton five years and $70 million. But they saw something in Chris Middleton, something special about who he could be. And then when he didn't come through in the playoffs, they once again doubled down on him and gave him a max contract, five years, $140 million. Right, they, they have one seventy, maybe huge number. Middleton got, you know, and that was well. Part of that was everybody said, "Oh, well, you just signed Middleton for that money because you wanted to keep Giannis." It runs deeper than that. This management team saw something in Chris Middleton. The prior management team saw something in Chris Middleton that he could provide the right kind of compliment to Giannis. And to me, you make a move like that. And people scratch their head, what the hell are they doing? Who is this guy they're paying all this money to? And you watch how he's developed. Their level of patience with him has been tremendous. And now they're being rewarded for it. So when you look at the one big move, to me, Middleton is truly the game changer for the Bucks. Listen, Giannis is consistent. Giannis is not doing things all that differently than he did in the last two years in the playoffs. The difference right now is the fact that Middleton went from a guy that scored four points in an elimination game two years ago to a guy who right now is as legit a closer as there is in, in the game today. Brian, um, over in the West, um, let's let's pivot there. Uh, what do we know about Kawhi? What do we know about uh, George uh, or uh, Chris Paul? Beg your pardon. Well, uh, Chris Paul, I think he could play as early as game two, most definitely game three. So Chris Paul is going to be back in this series. I'd be surprised if Kawhi was back in this series. I, you know, there's been two MRIs. It's a sprain on, and, and it's a sprain of the ACL. Um, he certainly, I don't think we're going to see him in this series. Now, if they were to advance, is it possibly to play an NBA final? It is possible, but they have to be responsible with this injury and his future. And I just don't know that, that it's the responsible thing with the magnitude of this injury to put him back out there. I'd be very surprised if we see Kawhi in this series. Um, and, and listen, it, it matters. It matters a ton, especially after Chris Paul comes back. You saw yesterday, and, and I, I looked at yesterday's game, Tough turnaround for the Clippers. Friday night when they beat Utah at home, it was an emotional, emotional win. And they and they got a this is you know a, a franchise altering type of win with finally getting to a conference final and, and breaking through there. But they want so much more. This is not what they put this team together for. Yesterday was a gettable game for them and they didn't get it. Booker ate them alive. I also worry for the Clippers that they may have won too many injuries. Marcus Morris having a banged up knee could be that critical mass of injury that they can't come back from because you saw how they destroyed Zubac in the pick and roll for the mid-range. Uh, I mean, and Booker feasted on him in the third quarter. If, if they don't have Morris to play that small ball center spot, get in trouble. And, and that because they don't have a Baca and, and they're without Leonard. Like, But that position is a problem position for them. Zubac is horrible defensively. He's so bad. And Morris had done a nice job, and their strategy was to have Morris on eight. DeAndre Ayton is not Rudy Gobert because DeAndre Ayton is more athletic and a much bigger threat on the offensive end of the floor. They need Marcus Morris to stay in this series. If he's not going to be healthy, I think the Clippers could be in trouble. i got a big-picture question about the league because right now you've got the final four teams. You've got arguably two huge Cinderella stories in the Suns and the Hawks as part of the final four teams that are still playing. But there's no LeBron. There's no Steph. 
There's no AD. Now there's no KD. There's no Harden. There's no Kyrie that are moving on. For the overall health of the game, I don't know that ratings are the number one thing. We love it here in Milwaukee, obviously, but from a global perspective, is this good for the NBA this year? I think it could be. I, you know, listen, it's first of all, last year, the league with LeBron James in an NBA final got murdered in the ratings. And, and, and remember that. And part of the reason, the big, the big reason why is because the NBA finals were during the college football and the NFL season. And people, at, when the fall rolls around and the helmets go on and the pigskins are thrown, your, your casual sports fan totally refocuses in the game of football. And for ratings to be what the NBA needs them to be, they need to attract the casual sports fan. Getting back on the calendar was the single most important financial consideration that the, that the league had to do coming out of the pandemic. This is a transition year because they're not totally back on the calendar, but they're about a month later. You know, yesterday you had a game seven of the second round of the NBA playoffs. It would have been on the regular schedule if there was game seven of the NBA finals. My point being is that the, the NBA kind of can dominate June, and in this year, it's going to go a couple of weeks into July. Um, I think ratings-wise, as long as there's not football games being played, I think they'll do okay. You, you, what happens is this. First of all, the league's not afraid of small markets. That's a big misnomer. As long as there's star players in these small markets. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a two-time MVP. People are going to tune in to see him play basketball. At the volume, they turn in for LeBron or Curry or Durant. Maybe not, but they're going to tune in to see him play basketball. Devin Booker is an up-and-coming star. All you have to do is watch him once, and you're going to want to keep watching him. Trey Young has been a blast to watch in these playoffs and has burst onto the scene and been terrific. He's another guy. Watch him once, and you're going to say, hey, wow, this guy's pretty good. He's dynamic. Let me watch him more. So I think for the league, even if there's a blip in the ratings, and I don't know that there will be because it's still going to be much better than last year because of the fact that you're going up against football. But I think what you're going to get is some stars who kind of are around to stay. People are going to want to, haven't really seen these guys much and now get to watch these guys front row here in games that matter a ton. So I think for the league, I wouldn't look at it as a bad scenario as much as I'd look at it as it's a growth opportunity because, again, LeBron James is 36 years old. Kevin Durant's 32 years old. Steph Curry's 32 years old. These guys are going to come a certain point in time where, you know, the, the mantle's going to have to be passed to another group of stars. I think we're seeing the beginning stages of that here. And listen, it's always a little bit of a bumpy ratings transition when that happens, and we may get a little bit of that. But based upon hitting rock bottom against football last year, I actually think it's a good opportunity for the NBA. Hey, Brian, um, you gave credit to Bud for you know adjustments he made uh, in the series against Brooklyn. Okay, let's let's say Durant's shoe size is smaller, and, and the three goes in and the Nets win. So you lose on a buzzer beater in Game 7. But would that have caught, in your opinion, would that have cost Bud his job? Or would you say, look, you know, we took him right to the nub. So we got to, we got to keep going forward here. We got to keep going with this head coach. Or was that a death blow if this series goes the other way? It, it would have been a death blow. And the, and the reason it would have is because the perception was going to be, and, and realize this guy, so much of this is perception. The perception was going to be is that they just lost to a Nets team with a hobbled James Harden, no Kyrie Irving, and just Kevin Durant. That was going to be the story that was told. And the other story that was told is that when they had a play to call in a big spot with Middleton and Holiday and Giannis on the floor, he ran it to Brooke Lopez, who ended up not getting a shot up. That would have been hung on Budenholzer in a big way if they had lost. And 
So to me, it was, I mean, it was that crucial for Mike Budenholzer. And he really, you know, and, and I give him credit because he, he was able to coach without necessarily letting those concerns overtake him. And you can't as a head coach. Coaches in this league are hired to be fired. He knows what the mandate is. He knows the pressure that's on him here. He knows what's expected out of this team. But you know what? Mike Budenholzer knew what was expected out of this team when he took the job. So none of this is surprising to him. But I don't think there's any doubt. Because if he had lost to a full Brooklyn team, Harden 100%, Irving on the floor, if he had lost to that team in seven in the same way, he would. He had a shot. He had a shot to make it through that. But not a compromised Brooklyn team. And I truly think that the Bucks winning this series and Middleton hitting that shot with 40 seconds left and Durant throwing up an air ball, trying to win a game when he should have been worried about tying a game and taking advantage of a, a good size matchup against Drew Holiday. If all that goes the other way, I think the conversation today we're having is very different about Mike Budenholzer, and, and he I don't think he's in the job anymore. He is Brian Geldseiler, the founder of HoopsCritic.com. You can find him on Twitter, at HoopsCritic. If you haven't followed him yet, you should. You can also listen to him on Sirius XM, uh, XM's NBA radio, also contributor at NBA TV. He's the best there is when it's, talk, when it's time to talk about the NBA. Brian, I appreciate the time so much. Thank you for the time and the insights. Always my pleasure, guys. We'll do it again soon. Take care. All right, there he goes. NBA Radio's Brian Geltziler, who joined Bob Raynard and me on the crossover on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee and on other stations like WNFL in Green Bay and Fox Sports 1070 The Game in Madison as well and some other stations around the state of Wisconsin on The Game in Rhinelander on WOBT. Also uh, Duluth Superior, Twin Ports, Eau Claire, Wausau, all around the great state of Wisconsin and then worldwide on the iHeartRadio app as well, which is also where you can find the Doug Russell podcast. So I don't know if you found us on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts, but that'll do it for today's show, and I'm glad you found us. Again, coming up on uh, Wednesday... To help lead us into Game 1, Mirren Fader is going to join us here on the show. She has written a book. It is done. It just hasn't shipped yet, but you can pre-order her book, uh, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. Um, Looking forward to this conversation. Just a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, Mirren actually interviewed me. I'm one of over 220 people that she interviewed for the book. So I'm not featured in the book, but I did make the book. Uh, So uh, I've known that this book was going to come out for some time, and uh, she's agreed to come on the program on Wednesday. I look forward to that conversation very much. Uh, And again, it will be a perfect lead in to game number one. Pfizer Forum. By the way, yeah, that's the other thing. The Bucks getting home court advantage. That's huge for the Eastern Conference Finals as well, although it didn't help them much uh, two years ago against the Toronto Raptors. But that was then. This is now. It's a different team. It's a different vibe. And you know what? I've, I've got a good feeling about this. I try to not put my cart before the horse, all my eggs in one basket, whatever other cliche that you want to you know, put out there. But I do have a good feeling about this Bucks team, not only in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Hawks, but then against the winner of the Suns Clippers series over in the West as well. This is a city that is thirsty for a championship, starving for a championship, and um, we're closer than we've ever been to a championship for the Bucks in the last 50 years as well. As always, you can hit us up on our socials. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter at Doug Russell Pod. You can also uh, find our YouTube channel. You can find us uh, on our website. That's where all of our shows are, www.dougrusselpod.com. That's it for today's show. We will talk to you on Wednesday for Game 1 between the Bucks and the Hawks right here on the Doug Russell Podcast.